Bring justice to the peoples, O beloved, and your mercy to all generations. May the people be known for mercy, rendering justice to the poor. Let their spirit soar as the eagle. Let joy abide in every heart. <coughs> May we heed the cry of the poor, the young and the old, helping to free all those in need, awakening the souls of oppressors. May we know oneness with you as long as the sun endures, as long as the stars shine throughout all generations. May we acknowledge you in the rain falling on the fields like showers that water the earth. In our day, may justice flourish and peace abound throughout all the nations. May every heart open to your love from sea to sea, from the river of life out to the universe. May fears that paralyze the people rise up from the depths into your light. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Thank you and good morning. It's a joy to be with you today. I'm thankful for this invitation. The older I get, the more I realize how much I need Advent each year. My spirit begins to yearn for the season even before my mind realizes it or becomes aware. As the days keep getting shorter and darkness seems to close in before I can even get in the car to drive home from work, I feel a certain sadness. Meanwhile, life seems to keep getting more and more frantic as the days grow shorter, decorating, choosing gifts for people we love, gathering with friends and loved ones, trying not to lose track of ourselves as we go. By the way, who thought it was a good idea for Thanksgiving and Christmas to be this close together? <laughs> this year, in the midst of so much election frenzy, of naming what divides us, of stoking fear and hate, I found myself longing for Advent even more. With all that is swirling around us, where might we find hope? How might we make room for hope as the days grow dimmer? And what is this thing that we hope for? Today we find ourselves with two passages that seem to have similar chords, motifs, if you will. Whether you're a musician or not, I imagine you know Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It contains one of the most famous musical motifs of all times. You know it? Dun, 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 dun. Yep. Over and over this motif appears, sometimes slowly. Dun, 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 dun. Sometimes fast, sometimes ho high, sometimes low. Nevertheless, the motif is the same. Dun, 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 dun. Today we look together at one of the most pervasive motifs in the biblical narrative the motif of what it will look like for God's kingdom to be established on earth. In the Old Testament, we often call this motif the peaceable kingdom. 
In the New Testament, we call it the kingdom of God. Same story, different verse. Dun, 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 dun. Perhaps the greatest irony is that we call this a kingdom at all, for it looks unlike any other kingdom in human history. Over and over again, God's kingdom is described as one where the poor and the needy are lifted up. The oppressed are given good news. The brokenhearted are bound up. The captives are set free. Those who mourn are comforted. In other words, God's kingdom is one where peace and justice abound. If this does not sound like a radical kingdom, we should lift up our heads, gaze with our eyes, and let these words ring in our ears until we can really hear them. Dun, 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 dun. Journey with me for a moment as we listen for the motif of God's peaceable kingdom. Our first stop is in the book of Samuel. As the story opens, we find Hannah, a barren woman who is distraught in her barrenness. In her distress and weeping, she prays to God for a son, promising to give back her son to God if she can only have a child. In due time, she conceives and bears a son who she names Samuel. And in response, she offers a song unto God, and we hear the motif yet again. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. The Lord raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes and inherit the seat of honor. Dun, 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 dun. But as the story unfolds in the book of Samuel, the people of God, the Israelites, don't feel safe. After being enslaved, after the plagues, after the dangerous journey of the Exodus and Moses leading the people out of Egypt, after the uncertain wanderings around in the wilderness for 40 years, after finally arriving in the promised land, after the establishment of the priesthood, the people of Israel decide they need more security. This journey with God is dangerous. Maybe if we can talk God into a king, we'll be more safe. In fact, everyone will be more safe if God's kingdom is enacted and enforced through an earthly king. God is heartbroken about this, and he tells Samuel to warn the Israelites about the perils of a king. They long for God's kingdom, but they long for safety even more. When they persist, God gives in, and the longed-for monarchy becomes a reality, first with King Saul and then with King David. King Saul gets into trouble early on, early on and David, flawed as he is, is still portrayed as a man after God's own heart. In today's passages, we see the persistent hope that God's kingdom will be established through earthly kings. The psalmist declares, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. 
May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. Dun, 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 dun. God's kingdom is on behalf of the poor, on behalf of the needy. God's kingdom is one of justice and peace. Soon enough, the monarchy begins to crumble and be corrupted, just as God had warned. And so the prophets pick up with the motif. Here again, the word of the prophet Isaiah we read earlier in the service. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Same story, different verse. Dun, 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 dun. In other words, this idea of a peaceable kingdom, a kingdom of justice and peace established on earth in the here and now is a pervasive one. When the kings stray from God, the prophets pick up the proclamation of a peaceable kingdom. And when the Israelites find themselves in exile, they still hold on to the ideal of God's kingdom being established on earth even as it becomes an eschatological hope for God's ultimate return under messianic rule. It is into this story that Jesus comes. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings this same tune about God's peaceable kingdom even before Jesus is born. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It is into this story that Jesus declares the kingdom of God is at hand. It is into this story that our ideas of how God's kingdom would be established are turned on their head. It is into this story that Jesus unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressor go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Dun, 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 dun. Jesus then heals the lepers, gives sight to the blind, drinks water at the well with the Samaritan woman, and tells story after story of what the kingdom of God is like, a mustard seed, yeast, a sower, and on he goes. Richard Rohr writes, I sometimes feel we preachers and teachers must come up with new sermons all the time. It seems terribly unfair because Jesus basically had one sermon that he just kept saying in different ways. Jesus announced the presence of what he called the kingdom or the reign of God. He kept saying, it is like or it may be compared to, and he used stories and parables and metaphors so that we could recognize what was obvious to him but not so obvious to us. Though we know from our lived realities that the kingdom of God is not yet, Jesus still declares 
The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is within us. This hope for God's kingdom of justice and peace is a disorienting hope, a dangerous one even. It's so much easier to hope for what makes us secure, to hope for a king. It's so much easier to hope for someone to fix it, to make it all better, to secure us. I have to be honest. I was hoping for relief after more than 18 months of much ugly caricaturizing of humanity during the election season. But relief was not to be found. Instead, the hate that had been stoked manifested itself in over 867 incidents of hate in the 10 days following the election. Where do we find hope in the midst of all this? What is this thing for which we hope? My instinct was to curl up in a ball and retreat for a little while. But as a minister, that's not really an option in moments like these. Thankfully, we sometimes have the chance to follow the lead of others. My wife, Maria, and your pastor, Michelle, have been part of a clergy cohort in Greenville that's been meeting together for over a year. In the days following the massacre at Mother Emmanuel, they decided it was time to know one another to build relationships, and to press themselves and their communities towards transformation across lines of difference. For too long, our differences have divided us, torn us apart. Having spent the year in difficult but deeply important conversation, they had been thinking for a while about what they might do together. When incidents of hate sparked all around following the election, Maria and Michelle in particular dreamed up the idea of a clergy pilgrimage of sorts, an afternoon of solidarity. Ten days after the election, they invited fellow clergy in the community to spend an afternoon journeying to places in our community where people had been threatened, oppressed, and targeted again and again with hatred and vitriol. Our first stop was the Hispanic Alliance, an organization working on behalf of Hispanic immigrants in Greenville. Our second stop was the Upstate Islamic Center, where Muslims from many different backgrounds and nationalities gathered to pray. And our third stop was the Phyllis Wheatley Center, which sits in a predominantly African-American neighborhood and is home to two African-American churches. We met up in the parking lots, donned our stoles, and made our way together, offering hands of friendship and a letter signed by 49 local clergy members. In it, we promised to be their neighbors, to stand with them, to challenge ourselves and our congregants to address the prejudices and fears that we still harbor in our hearts. As we reached out in an act of solidarity, I quickly realized that I was the one that needed to make the journey that afternoon. In the tear-filled eyes, in the hugs and smiles and the handshakes of our sisters and brothers in our very own community, I glimpsed the kingdom of God.
I can't take any credit. I just showed up to stand with other sisters and brothers who are being threatened. And in some strange way, it renewed my hope. And it helped me to see and hear Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is like receiving welcome and the hand of friendship. The kingdom of God is like embraces that we don't deserve that give us hope. In truth, I'm not sure why I was surprised to glimpse the kingdom of God that day. If I pay attention to the motif, if I follow Jesus and see who he lifts up and who he sits at the table with and who he heals, I might have known. It's the lowly who are lifted up, the hungry who are filled with good things, the rich who are sent away empty. The texts we read today are ancient ones filled with ancient longings, and they are longings that we share this very day, especially during this Advent season. We long for God's kingdom of justice and peace to come. We wait expectantly for the incarnation, God with us, and we give thanks when even for a moment, the scales fall from our eyes and we realize that it is so. Our deepest hopes are not for safety. Our deepest hopes are to glimpse the kingdom of God in our midst, to know that God is with us, that God is within us, that God is in the eyes and hands and feet of the beggar, the leper, the outcast, within and without. God of hope, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and feet and hands that join in bringing forth your kingdom of justice and peace. Amen.